when I was uh, spending time in prayer about the message, the Lord gave me a different kind of picture of what I should start with first, and it was because of this table down here. And we've just been through Easter, and we've thought about all of that, and so I want to ask you guys to close your eyes right now, okay? And I'm going to just talk to you about what the Lord put on my heart here. And as you've got your eyes closed, I want you to picture the disciples coming together to have supper with Jesus, like they'd done before. They'd seen all these miracles. They'd seen how they went to this village and how God said, you'll meet this man and he'll follow him and he'll show you the upper room. And it's all ready. Wow, how did that guy know? And so they're sitting around this table. Everything's great. And then Jesus says that one of you is going to betray me. Now pretend you're at that table. What does that feel like? You're following Jesus. You love Him so much. He's your best friend. He's telling you things that you've never heard before. And then it gets worse. All of a sudden Jesus takes His disciples out to the garden and He is distressed. And, they, and you're looking upon Him, trying to figure out what's the matter. This is God, the Son of God. How can He get down? And He's panicking. He knows what's coming, but they don't know. You don't know. And then the soldiers come and take him away to the cross. He's put on the cross, nailed to the cross after a serious amount of torturing and beating. And there he dies. You've been following this man. You love him to bits. And now you look upon him on the cross. How does that feel? He dies and then he's taken down and buried and he rises again. But in between that time, I want you, that's what I want you to be thinking about. If you were there, what does this all mean inside your gut? This uncertainty, doubt is creeping in. You're not sure. So open your eyes now. And this is what the cross symbolizes. New life, new beginning. He rose from the dead. He defeated Satan. He has victory over death. But those disciples still don't get it, do they? Difficult time trying to understand what's happened here. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 7 about John the Baptist, verses 18 and 23 through 23. And as you have that picture in your mind of that uncertainty these disciples have, remember, the ladies come running back and telling them Jesus has risen. What? We saw him. He died. They're disappointed. They're uncertain about what's going on. What other words would you use for uncertainty? What came to mind is doubt, distrust, disbelief. How about insecurity now? These guys gave up everything to follow him. They don't understand. I looked up the definition in the English dictionary for uncertainty, and it says uncertainty about the truth. Sorry, the definition for doubt. Uncertainty about the truth or factuality or existence of something. 
Let me say that again. The definition for doubt. Uncertainty about the truth. In factuality or existence of something. When I started thinking about the sermon, and I had some time because I didn't preach last Sunday, and in these last three weeks, as most of you know, we have been going through this um, immigration situation. Better word put, this crisis. We submitted our documents ahead of time. Because last year, when we got kind of anxious of what was going to happen to our documents, we phoned them and we said, how's our documents going? They said, well, you should have thought of that a bit earlier. Oh, okay, so this year we submitted them earlier. We get a letter in the post saying, you've been denied because you submitted your documents too early. Wow. In the midst of that, I'm trying to protect Linda because it's her birthday. I don't want to tell her the sad news on her birthday. But right on the morning of her birthday, we get a phone call come through from the school saying they've been notified, you've been flagged, that you were denied. And Linda hears it on her day. What is going on, Lord? I've given up everything to follow you. I know you've placed me here. I've got all these mile markers, all these things written down. Why are you doing this now? I don't understand. I'm sitting in my office trying to figure things out, and I know I've got to get looking at what is the next part of my sermon as we're reading through Luke. I open up the Bible and start looking, and it's on John the Baptist's uncertainty. It's on his doubt. I'm living through this. What a serious is his. But every one of us, it's serious when you're going through whatever it is. So I started to think, wow, what am I going to call the sermon? And Diane's waiting for the title and I said, I got it. It's uncertainty because I'm uncertain what God is doing here. John is uncertain about what's going on as well. And then I remember in Oswald Chambers, this book I read here was given to me by a missionary in 2001 that I keep reading. And I remember there's somewhere in here that he talks about gracious uncertainty. Now, Oswald Chambers was born in 1874 and died in 1917. And his writings were put together in 1935 and still in print. Most incredible um, readings to follow. It's just amazing and I said to him, well, I know he wrote something. So I just opened the book on my desk. And it opened on April 29th, on the day. And guess what it's called? Gracious Uncertainty. start to read it and I see over the years, look how much I've colored this thing in, this page. This hasn't happened to me often, has it? So I'm going to read to you about this. And it's amazing how God's timing brings this in. He says, our natural inclination is to be so precise, trying always to forecast accurately what would happen next, that we look upon uncertainty as a bad thing. We think that we must reach some predetermined goal, but that is not the nature of the spiritual life. The nature of the spiritual life is that we are certain in our uncertainty. Let me read that again. The nature of the spiritual life is that we are certain in our uncertainty. I know Linda was watching me and I don't get anxious. situation was difficult, but I, I know in my uncertainty 
that God is this in control. Consequently, Oswald Chambers goes on to say, Consequently, we do not put down roots. Our common sense says, Well, what if I were in that circumstance? We cannot presume to see ourselves in any circumstance in which we have never been. Right now, God has me in a circumstance similar to this passage of complete uncertainty. And doubt is starting to creep into me. He goes on to say, Certainty is the mark of common sense life. Gracious uncertainty is the mark of the spiritual life. To be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. The wisdom in this man's words. To be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways, not knowing that tomorrow, what tomorrow may bring. This is generally expressed with a sigh of sadness. But it should be an expression of breathless expectation. This whole week I'm in my office going, oh, oh, and I hear Pastor Jake coming down the corridor. Man, I'm hearing a lot of sighing in this office. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and I read this. I'm doing it, getting it all wrong. I'm getting doubt coming in. I'm getting uncertainty, disbelief. It should be an expression of breathless expectation. We are certain of the next step, but we are uncertain. Sorry, we are uncertain of the next step, but we are certain of God. And that's what we've got to keep reminding ourselves. We're uncertain of the next step, but we are very certain of God. As soon as we abandon ourselves to God and do the task He has placed us closest to, He begins to fill our lives with surprises. As I'm reading this, there's a call from reception. There's a lady that has come to see me. And I have the privilege to go up there and meet her with Virginia and um, invite her back to the office. And the three of us sit down and she shares her story with me. And right at the time, I am very uncertain with what's going on. i got a lot of immigration stuff going through my mind. i got papers everywhere. I'm not expecting anyone. And I listen, but I'm not listening. And eventually the Lord, as I'm praying, the Lord says, you need to focus on me. You need to focus on what's before you now. And as I heard him say that into my heart, I stopped prayed and asked him to forgive me and I started to focus on this lady's situation. And as we, as I listened, I realized the importance of what this was. This was a surprise in the midst of a trial. I took my Bible out and started to show her the scriptures. We went through the scriptures and she started to understand what God was doing. It was starting to call her. And right there, She accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. That's why we have this candle lit here. And I'm so excited to see Nicola here with her husband Adam come to join us this morning. God is at work in the midst of whatever you're facing. When we become simply a promoter or a defender of a particular belief, something within us dies. That is not believing God. It is only believing our belief about Him. Jesus said, unless you become as little children, the spiritual life of a child is important. 
the, our mindset of where we're at with God. He goes on to say, we are not certain of God. We are uncertain of God, just uncertain of, sorry, let's try that again. We are not uncertain of God, just uncertain of what he's going to do next. Who would have expected right in the midst of that, that he would send someone in need? If our certainty is only on our beliefs, we develop a sense of self-righteousness, become overcritical, and limited by the view that our beliefs are complete and settled. But when we have the right relationship with God, life is full of spontaneous joy and joyful uncertainty and expectancy. Jesus said, believe also in me. Believe. And not believe certain things about me. Believe in me. Leave everything to him and it will be gloriously and graciously uncertain of how he will come in. But you can be certain that he will come. So remain faithful to him. That's what I was reading that morning. So as we look at verses 18 to 20 of Luke chapter 7, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. And this is John the Baptist we're looking at here. And they're reporting the things of what Jesus is doing. Summoning the two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? Wow. John the Baptist is telling them to go and say this. What has happened to John? It's repeated again. When the men came to him, that is Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? Wow. What has happened to John the Baptist? Where is John? In Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, it helps us there. It tells us, When Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. You see, John the Baptist was being faithful, selflessly and fearlessly fulfilling his calling, his position, his prophetic duty. Yet despite that, he found himself in prison. Because he did not remain silent about what was wrong. And was bold and brave enough even to step up to a king. And tell him, what you're doing is wrong. It's unlawful. Are you the expected one? Think about some of you here might be going through a trial, a very difficult time. Think about John's position here. I'm your cousin. I baptized you. I gave it all up for you. I lived in the desert till the right time. You are the Messiah. You have the power to free me. And I thought bad things were going to come and take place to evil people. I'm your forerunner. I was chosen to prepare the way for you. I'm being faithful. Why is this happening to me? I said that too. 
God, why is this happening to us? It's my wife's birthday. Really? On this day? How do I make this a special day? Why is this happening? Where is John drifting off to now? As you listen to these words. Are you the expected one? John was about his work, sharing the gospel. Speaking to people about the Lord Jesus. He's drifting into uncertainty. Doubt is starting to come in because of his circumstance. John was starting to struggle with doubt. He's forgetting what happened at the River Jordan. He saw the Father speak of his Son. The Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus. John even declared, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is before you. John testified to the Jewish leaders concerning the identity of Jesus. Are you the expected one? Warren Worsby explains doubt and unbelief like this. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why He is doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what He tells us to do. Doubt is, is not always a sign that a man is wrong, said Oswald Chambers. It may be a sign that he is thinking. In John's case, his inquiry was not born of willful unbelief. But it was doubt nourished because of the situation he was in. His circumstances had changed for the worse. He was in emotional and physical strain. So where do we drift off to when we face a trial, a tribulation? When things start going wrong? We're about sharing the gospel. We're preaching the word. We're helping people. We're giving. We're fulfilling our calling. And things start to go around you. You start facing trials, tribulations, challenges. And you can feel you're being attacked. And every time this attack comes, what does it attack mostly? Your faith. Your trust in Jesus Christ. John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary says, Every situation that believers find themselves in is subject to the sovereign purpose of God, whether it be perceived as deserved or undeserved. You know, when I spoke to my attorney about this letter, do you know what he said to me? He said, Wayne, you know, God is sovereign even in the U.S. immigration. Wow. So where do we go when we start to let doubt and uncertainty creep in? For those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, this is what the cross symbolized. New life, new beginning. He's defeated death. You don't have to fear dying. He has victory over that. He is risen and He is telling you you're going to rise and be with Him forever in, in heaven. Eternal life. We believe that. We've come to the cross. We've prayed. We love Jesus. But life continues on. And all of a sudden we start to face a few trials. Because our faith is getting stronger. Our trust is getting stronger. His calling is calling you to be bold and courageous and share the gospel. And all of a sudden, you do. 
But these trials come and these attacks come to demoralize you, to derail your faith. And as these happen, you start slipping behind a little bit. You start getting uncertain. You're moving out of the light of Jesus Christ. You're allowing doubt to creep into your life. You're getting worried. You're not sure now. It starts pulling you back further and further from the cross. You start forgetting about what happened on Easter. You start forgetting about the beating, the whipping, the nailing to the cross for your sins. You start thinking about your circumstances and what you're facing. And before you know it, you can't really see the cross very clearly. You're busy trying to figure out what's got wrong. How do I live my life? This is not fair. This is not right. Doubt is creeping in that God is not really the God of the impossible. He can't change your situation. You start forgetting to pray. You start not looking for your Bible. You don't look at your journal anymore to see those mile markers. You're stuck in a place where you don't know how to come out of. Can anybody see me? When you're in this place, can anybody see you? But if you stand in the light of Jesus Christ, here, and you trust Him to do the impossible, and you focus on what His call is for you to have compassion on those that you meet around you. What is compassion? Your pain in my heart. Those people you meet out there, you should be sensing their pain in your heart and being ready to share the gospel. I nearly lost that with this young lady. Man, I nearly missed it. She was crying. She was broken. And her pain wasn't getting in my heart because I slipped here. I slipped here with uncertainty and doubt. And I could see her. I was listening But really, I wasn't in the light to help her. And I thank the Lord for breaking through to bring me back into the light. See, if you allow your circumstances, your situation, your marriage, your your job and everything you're facing just pile on you, you're going back. Who's going to see you? How are you going to shine the light of Jesus Christ if you're so focused on what you're facing? It's a destroyer. Look what John does. He took his doubts doubts directly to the Lord. And he asked him to resolve them. He summoned two disciples and sent them to Jesus on his behalf. But you know, John knew the prophetic word. He knew the Messianic promises. He knew what Isaiah had said. In Isaiah 29, 18 and 19, it says, On the day the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see, and the afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The Messiah was fulfilling His calling. He was fulfilling God's purpose. But John, what was happening to John? 
He was walking by sight now. And not by faith. This outdoorsman that lived in the desert was now confined to a prison cell. You know, when you look at the, around the world at some of the missionaries and people out there in countries that will not allow Jesus Christ to be spoken. We, have, we are really blessed. Next Sunday we've got a lot of baptisms. Young people have stepped up to me and asked for baptism. And I noticed on, on the form we go through, there's a question there for the older people. Was If you were in a situation in a country that did not like Jesus Christ, and you were boldly going to step up to be baptized in a communist country, would you still do it? Would you still stand and say, I'm doing this for Jesus Christ who's in my life, my Savior? John was stuck. He was living by sight, not by faith. Hope is restored when we remember that our Lord is not hindered or limited by the things that make us feel helpless. That's what hope is. God specializes in the impossible problems. I know that He is greater than the greatest of my problems. Do you know that? Do you believe that? When I meet with some people and the, and the circumstances in the, and the trial that they're in right there and then, you can see it. They've, they're back there. The Word of God, the Bible, is not in their hands. They're struggling to break free. But the Word of God, this is where we need to go. This is where John needed to go. Back to the Word. Hope remains when we accept as truth that even though we cannot see God or hear Him or touch Him, He is hard at work on our behalf. I remember when I was in Ireland, when I first arrived, my first weekend there, I was really struggling. My host, they're fantastic, but the man, he hadn't even got a job in the six years he'd been there. Great. He was also an alcoholic. He also told me, I don't want any of your praying mumbo-jumbo here. I thought, wow, Lord, this is where you send me? Saturday morning, I'm on my knees praying, saying to God, you told me to read and never stop reading your word of God from the front to the back in the year. I can see my journey led me here. But you, I got to be a husband. I got to be a dad. I got to be a provider. And I got to read this and believe it. I'm really struggling. You know, it's really hard not to see you, touch you. I just love that warm handshake. I'm lost. I'm alone in a foreign country, first world country. I don't know what to do. Amen. I got up that Saturday. My host and I were going to town. Mike was his name. And we get to the gate of his house, and here comes this man, Gerard McManus, which you will meet next Sunday. He's coming for my ordination ceremony. He's my mentor. A missionary from America that just so happens to live two doors down. You know, you'll hear him probably say on Sunday that he went there to Ireland as a missionary and spent seven years there. And he had no idea what God had sent him there for to do there. Because over those seven years, he got frustrated. He didn't see God at work. He didn't see anything. And he started to doubt and get uncertain about his calling there. And then he met me. And on his last Sunday before his time was finished, he said, the only reason I've been in Ireland was to meet this guy. I needed to be so prepared for his questions. I had a lot of time to study. 
He baptized me and Linda and left back to the States. Just like the story about Philip meeting the Ethiopian along the road. My prayer was, God, I don't understand this. I don't know. I need some help. What did the Ethiopian say in the chariot as he was reading Isaiah? How can anyone understand this unless someone explains it to them? And Philip just happened to be on the side of the road where Jesus, God told him to go. He said, oh, I can. He jumped in there, started explaining the word and baptized him. And then he was taken away. So was my Mac. This is the hardest path to follow. God didn't say it would be easy. But faith, trust, is so important to hold on to. Not seeing or hearing Him, not having a tangible evidence of God other than the Word of God, you could find yourself behind that curtain. The anguishing over your problems and what you're facing in your own homes. John thought the Lord had abandoned him, leaving him to suffer in this evil place, this dungeon. He had been forgotten. And we all fall into this pattern of uncertainty with our walk with God. And quicker if we're not reading the Word of God. If we're not trusting the Word of God. Doubt, worry. But God does not leave you, no matter what. See, the devil wants you ineffective. He doesn't want you standing in the light of the cross, here, glowing. He doesn't want you to go out there and share with someone. He's going to pile you up with thoughts, burdens, troubles, that you can't think clearly to see someone else's pain. He's very, very clever. We must trust God's love. We must remember the Last Supper. He asked us to. It's huge. Those men didn't see this coming. I didn't see it this coming. We should look back at our spiritual markers to encourage us as well. We must remain certain that, about God and when we face uncertainty because of our circumstances changing our lives right there and then, we must pursue real answers and real answers are in the Word of God. I was privileged to go and see my son Travis speak at the FCA banquet do his testimony in front of 600 people. And he said to me, Dad, I hold the family record. I spoke to the biggest crowd of people than you. <laughs> and he did a good job. He really did. He really did. But in that situation, I was still anxious for him, his first speaking, his testimony, I don't know what he was going to say about me and, and that. And in the midst of that, Julie arrives, Julie Morris, and she's got this sign for me and Linda. She said, I saw this and I knew I needed to buy that and give it to you. And on the sign is my favorite verse I've used since I left Africa. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven was on this sign all the way down. She had no idea. But God saw me slipping. And right at the right time, he sticks this in front of me. I go, oh my goodness. Trust in the Lord. Oh my. He comes through every time. Blaise Pascal wrote, We must know where to doubt, where to feel certain, and where to submit. Isn't that amazing? The greatest of God's prophets now struggled with uncertainty. We are going to be doing the same. We are doing the same. I bet most of you. John anticipated the new golden age for Israel. 
Man, he's been reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah. Woo! Israel is going to be redeemed through the Messiah. He was expecting it now. I'm expecting Jesus to come back now. I didn't win the green card, by the way. So I'm really expecting him to come now. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. we got a lot of papers in the system. So that would have been just a fast track. Uh, but God wants me to go through this. He is struggling. When John didn't see the word changing, the world changing, when the arrival of the Messiah, he allowed this uncertainty to creep into his heart. Are you the one? Or do we look for someone else? Please, folks, don't ever, ever doubt the Word of God. Don't doubt what Jesus went through on the cross. Don't doubt He cannot fix your circumstances. He, he can change whatever you're going through, but you have to come to Him. And when you look through the Bible, how did every, when everything went wrong in the Bible, what made it change? When the people seeked Him with all their heart, all their soul and mind, when they prayed. I'm in an impossible situation here. I've been in this many times over. And I know for a fact, the only thing that changes is prayer. There's nothing I can do but pray. So what's the ripple effect of having me here in the midst of you? What has God been calling us to do? To pray. He is the one that can change this. So look with me at verses 21 and 23. And I love the beginning of 21. It says, at that very time, just like Julie, at that very time walks in with that sign to encourage me. He cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, to the disciples of John, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. The disciples found of John found Jesus fulfilling the scriptures. He was doing what he was called to do. Now, I want you to imagine again for a moment. You are John's disciples. Okay? You've been following this man. You believe in what he's teaching about Jesus Christ. You believe everything that he's telling you and equipping you to be a follower of Jesus. And you arrive and you now meet Jesus. And he's doing every, the most amazing things before your eyes. And you're meeting the twelve. And you're hearing what he has done. That Oh, you guys should have seen this. Man, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's done this. He's done. Oh my, you should see this guy. He, it's, it's unbelievable. But you're a follower of John the Baptist. Allow yourself to go there. I went there with my Mac. My mentor. My missionary God gave me. Oh my goodness. I would be devastated if something happened to him. Or if he was locked up in prison. And I couldn't do anything to help him. Think about that. Nothing you can do. But you're standing watching Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the God-man before you. And your best friend is locked up in prison 
and is asking, are you the one? Can you imagine that? And you're observing Jesus healing the sick, the blind, the deaf, and the lame. The God man who has power to raise the dead, and yet Jesus does not use any of his authority to free John the Baptist, his cousin. With a word, Jesus could just open those prison doors. He could crush the walls of that prison. But he didn't. So, I ask you, what would, what's your thoughts in this? What are you thinking right now? Here's the forerunner of Jesus Christ, locked up in prison. And you're standing before the Messiah. What Jesus tells the disciples to tell John would infect, would affect him and encourage him. It would help him with his anxious thoughts of uncertainty. He was saying to report to John what you have seen. You have seen the fulfillment of Isaiah's messianic promises. Jesus was performing these miracles. And you remember we read in Luke right at the beginning there, Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and part of 2. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim the liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You see what he told the disciples to go back and tell John. He was reminding John, what does the word of God say about me? John needed to get back to the word. We need to get back to the word. What can resolve your problems is the word of God. Jesus' miraculous deeds points to the fact that He is the Messiah. His point was that we should not fall away, not be trapped, not be ensnared on account of Him. We have faith. We have to hold on to our faith. That last verse, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Why did He put that in there? Oh yeah, I got stuck on this verse for ages and ages. Keeping the picture of where John is at. What these disciples... Can you imagine the, the countenance of John's disciples looking at Jesus? Like, really? Are you not going to do nothing about this? And you have the power to do it? I'm standing with this, le this news about that letter. You have been denied because you've sent your forms in too early. Really? Right now, Lord? Can't believe this. The year before, we were anxious and we phoned them as well and asked, how's our forms doing? And they said, you should have thought about that when you sent them in. You should have sent them in earlier. Oh my goodness. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Charles Swindell in the New Testament Insights explains it this way. A special blessing rests on those who are trapped in a situation they cannot get out of. When it looks as though the world has abandoned them and they are treated unfairly. Blessed are those whose faith is not destroyed under such difficult circumstances. The Messiah at this time came to transform hearts and to continue to try to do that. And he continues to try and do that through you and me. 
Will you look at people this week with that same compassion as Jesus did? That their pain can get through to you. And you can put aside all what you're facing and stand in the light. And then you could open your scriptures and say, let me show you something. And be praying as that person reads those verses that the Lord would transform them to give them a new life. Will you do that? See, if we get stuck with all our problems that we face today, money, jobs, marriages, there's so many different ways Satan can use to just disrupt the whole focus on Jesus Christ. We've just gone through Easter. He's going to be hard at work to destroy this picture. That's why I've left this up here. He's going to slowly take you all back. He's going to pile your circumstances up. Your timing is going to fall out. You're going to land up behind that curtain. Saying, I I just can't see through this. I can. And what would be the last thing into your mind? Prayer. He He will stop you from coming to pray. He will stop you from getting on your knees because there's power in prayer. You have direct access to the Lord. He's got to pile you up that you don't believe anymore that He is the God of the impossible that came off that cross and stepped out of that tomb. So I want to close with Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 25 and 28. If you'd open your Bibles to that, I'd like the deacons and elders to get ready for communion for me, please. But as what we've heard yeah, and as you think about this, what John's situation, those disciples around this Last Supper we're looking at here, and they lost their Messiah that evening. You remember Peter at one time while he was trying to figure this all out? You know, do you remember what he said to his disciples, his friends, his buddies? You know what? I'm going back fishing. Not about you guys, but I'm going back fishing. How many of us think like that? Now, I've tried to follow the Lord. I've done this and that, but my goodness, I can't do this anymore. Well, that's what hit me. I want to go back fishing. I want to go back. It seems always easier. But it wasn't, was it? You have to stick with Jesus. In verse 25 it says, But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. He is going to win. You're going to have victory over what you're facing. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Isn't that a great verse? I'm standing at the door and uh, Dr. Judd Martin comes up to me and says, Wayne, as he shakes my hand, Romans 12, 12, and walks out. So when I had finished at the door of my Bible, 
Romans 12.12 Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. God can change wherever you're at if you bring it to Him in prayer. So let's prepare our hearts for communion. And why do we do this? Jesus asked us, please remember this. Do this. Yeah. This is a special time to reflect with your relationship with Him. It says, The Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I want to say that last part here. You, it's all of you here, proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Compassion. Their pain in your heart. It's like these candles for more people. Bring them home. Help them find their way to the Lord Jesus. He, yeah, he loves every single one of us. But we, we're in a, a situation where we will be in a spiritual battle sometimes. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer.